Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on My Millennial Money, it's a bonus episode. It is a Friday afternoon and when we talk about newsy stuff, I like to date stamp the episode. We're recording this at about 3.30 p.m. on Friday, the 3rd of March, 2023. And I am joined by Vince Scully from Life Sherpa. He's a regular on the show. If you're a regular to this podcast, you will know Vince's voice. And I thought we would jump on and have a chat about the, quote unquote, better targeted superannuation concessions. That's the magical word from Treasury. Vince, welcome back to the podcast this afternoon. Thank you, Glenn. It's always good to talk about some reforms and reform is usually code for making shit worse. Let me read this and I'll put a link in today's show notes uh, to the Treasury fact sheet, which will um, give everyone a high level overview if they want to um, read a little bit more. Or if you really want to geek out, they give some worked examples of what we're going to talk about. So I will read uh, the overview and then we'll uh, we'll talk about this and answer a heap of questions that uh, I'm sure you have. The government is reducing the tax concessions available to individuals whose total superannuation balance exceed $3 million. Individuals with balances over this threshold would be subject to an additional tax of 15% on the earnings of any balance that exceeds the $3 million threshold. This change broadly brings the headline tax rate on earnings corresponding to that portion of the balance greater than $3 million to 30%. So basically, they're saying there's no change to the the amount that you can have in the accumulation phase. They're just saying anything over $3 million will be whacked an additional 15%. And this change is expected to affect less than 0.5% of individuals with a superannuation account. By 2025-26, it's expected to apply to less than 80,000 people, meaning that more than 99.5% of individuals with a superannuation account balance, will continue to be unaffected by the change. This proposal is due to effectively start on the 1st of July 2025. And Treasury, uh, on their paper, they've crunched the numbers for the government. They're saying that Treasury will not consult on this measure. Vince, what does this mean? Should it matter? Should we care? Give us a bit of a lay of the land, bit of history, if you will, because we will we will talk about the politics of it and whatnot. But um, yeah, what well, does it mean? Yeah, well, on the face of it, it's as you described that it's really just a very small number of accounts will not get the full benefit of the fifteen percent concessionary tax or the zero rated tax for retirees. And looking at say, so, well, if it is eighty thousand people. 
um, I think the number, the revenue impact in the first year is about a billion dollars. So whilst to you and me, that sounds like a lot of money, it's actually a rounding difference in total government spending of about 600 billion. So on that reading, you go, well, this is pretty trivial. doesn't affect very many people. Um, and therefore it's probably not worth worrying about. In fact, anyone starting today is going to struggle to get to $3 million. So most of those big balances are there because they were able to get money in before the gates were closed. Um, Now, the Financial Services Council uh, released a media release and they gave some modelling. And, you know, modelling's funny because... (laughs) <laughs> like modeling only produces what inputs you That's put right. into it. And you know, right? we, so, you know, we have a saying in financial modeling that says, if you torture the numbers for long enough, they will eventually confess. Exactly. The numbers never live in until they, they do. <laughs> um, so the FSC, and there's a link in the show notes to this media release, they say a 25-year-old IT professional earning $100,000 with a current super balance of $35,000 would reach the three million threshold by the time they retire at age sixty-five. A forty-five-year-old school principal earning one hundred and fifty thousand dollars today with a current super balance of six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I don't know many um, school principals at forty-five that have six fifty in super, but whatever, we'll go there. Would reach the three million threshold by the time they retire at age sixty-five, and a fifty-five-year-old dentist earning two hundred and twenty thousand dollars today with a current super balance of $1.4 million, would reach the $3 million threshold by the time they retire at age 65. And it went on to say in the FSC projections that the basically the number of people affected at retirement at the age of 60, under 30 is 204,000 or 5% of the population. So I think what we're getting at, Vince, here is the biggest issue that a lot of pundits and commentators have is that $3 million threshold. There hasn't been talk of it being indexed. Well, that's true. But remember, most of these thresholds, apart from the concessional and non-concessional contributions and the T-bar, are not actually indexed in legislation. It's just that they do. So the age pension goes up, the... um, Tax brackets go up from time to time. Um, tax rates change from time to time. So I think the FSC is being a little disingenuous by playing the all else being equal game, which economists love, and making the assumption that over 30 years it's not going to get indexed or not changed at all. And um, they obviously have a huge incentive to encourage people to put money into super. So that's in the category of they would say that, wouldn't they? So I'm not sure I have a huge amount of sympathy for the FSC. Um, But there are a couple of things here that you allude to there. So first of all, all change is generally bad change from a consumer's perspective because it undermines confidence. Um, Even when it's good change, so, you know, the people whinging about capping it at three million were nowhere to be seen whinging when Peter Costello removed all taxes in pension phase in two thousand and seven. So people mm. people whinge about adverse changes, but no one 
congratulates the positive changes. But which uh, is which is human nature, of course. Um, but it's the fact that it is changing which undermines confidence. And I think that's probably the biggest problem. Let's just quickly talk about the lay of the land right now before the changes, uh, because I want to. You mentioned pension phase. Yep. At the moment, you can have as much money as you want in superannuation, assuming you can get it in. <laughs> assuming you can get it in, and the internal tax rate in superannuation is fifteen percent. Yep. Now, if you're earning more than $250,000 at the moment and you put your concessional contribution in, concessional contribution in of $27,500, you'll be taxed 15% like everyone else, but there's a little thing called Division 293. Good old 293, yep. 293. At the end of the year when you do your tax return, the ATO will write your letter and say, you owe us an extra 15% contributions tax. Am I missing anything in terms no, of the I mean, this sort, count this, balance? No, this sort of extends it to the earnings as well. So I think that the challenge here that we started you know, in the 90s with limits on how much you could there was no limits on how much you could put in. There were limits on how much you could take out concessionally. So the, um, what do they call it? Reasonable benefit limits. You know, RBLs. You know, are you old enough to remember RBLs, Glenn? They were bloody confusing. <laughs> and then that was all changed and we went to limits on how much you could put stuff put in. And that's been pretty stable for some time. We then saw the 2007 Costello budget where they removed tax on retirement phase, that is the portion of your super fund that's backing a pension. The tax on that was removed and the income could be paid out to the pensioner tax-free, which was a huge change. And that was accompanied by a one-off amnesty that will allow you to put a million extra million dollars in. Now, since, since then, so we've been sort of and that was arguably, I think, an unsustainably generous position. And if you want to know how politics work, I suggest that you read Peter Costello's biography, which name escapes me for a moment. Um, Nikki Sava wrote it. But in there, he talks about the 2007 budget and how that came to be in the budget. And it was a, invented in the last three weeks of the budget period. So that'll tell you how much analysis went into it. But that was probably unsustainable. And we've seen a few walkbacks from that since with the introduction of the transfer balance cap, which limits how much you can have in that tax-free position. And we also have a limit on putting money in, other than SGC and a few other minor exemptions, of 1.9 million. So that's made it a little bit you know, fixed up some of those unsustainability problems. This mm. one, whilst I think it's going in the same direction, I'm not sure I have a problem with a cap per se. It's the sting in the tail about how they work out what the taxable income is, which we can probably come back to later, mm. which is unprecedented and probably a little dangerous. And um, the other two announcements that this one's stolen all the th thunder from I think are probably more important to the average consumer than 
a $3 million camp. But I guess we can talk about that later. Yeah. Now, I actually, you mentioned the balance transfer cap. Mm. And if you are new to the super world, so from July 1 this year, you can have $1.9 million million dollars <laughs> like Austin uh, Dr Evil Dr Evil in your pension account mm-hmm. which grows at a rate of 0% tax correct anything above that amount you get taxed at 15% so for what it's worth the current superannuation system and even with the proposed 3 million dollars like it or not it's still pretty good um i'm of the view that if you've got you know, right at today or tomorrow, we we can talk about inflation. But, you know, if you're retiring next week and you've got over $3 million in your super fund, you probably will be okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going out on a limb there. But, <laughs> no, you know, I think you, I could live comfortably on that, especially yeah, tax rate. That's right. So I think we do need to, you know, hose this down, uh, particularly the politics of it and the headlines. It's actually a non-event for most people. And, you know, the balance transfer cap, it's currently 1.7. It's increasing to 1.9 in uh, July. So we know that in legislation, there is burned in that that tax-free balance transfer cap will get indexed. Which should be capable of giving most people $85,000 tax-free per person in retirement, which is by any measure, especially if you're Two, couple, two people in a couple making the same thing, by any measure, you would call that a comfortable retirement. And one thing they did say with this $3 million cap was that if um, at the end of the year that you owe the extra tax, you can choose to pay it from the current super fund, another super fund, or your own <laughs> bank account. And, and I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, when I get my division 293 um, bill at the end of the financial year, I just pay it out of my cash flow because at the end of the day, all roads lead to Rome. And if you're privileged enough to have to pay that little bit more, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. So that was a, a good thing there. The other thing as well that they've flagged that Treasury will consult on, which is interesting, is the treatment of defined benefits payments. So hmm, I wonder who moment, gets them. Yeah, exactly. So we won't camp on defined benefits too much, but a whole heap of the politicians, if they've been in parliament for, I don't even know, say over 10 or 20 years, they effectively get a lifetime pension benefit and which basically means the government underwrite a payment until they die. There aren't actually that many of Albanese's cabinet who fall into that category. So before we talk about the politics of it and our own view, which, you know, probably the value isn't there for those two points. Let's talk about what they're proposed in terms of how they calculate the tax for the balances over $3 million. Yeah. And probably as a reference point, Vince, if I've got a garden variety superannuation fund at the moment, how is that taxed right now for the 15% each year? Yeah. So generally, super funds like most taxpayers pay tax on income, less expenses plus franking credits and only pay tax on capital gains when they're actually realised. So if you buy Vanguard High Growth Fund, for example, a good friend, um, about 5% of that 
of the total 8% return comes from income. So you pay tax on that 5% every year. And then another 3% comes from capital growth. And you only pay that when you sell and realize it. And that's true for current super funds. Now, most public offer super funds, so anything that's got a unit price, will make a provision for the tax that would be paid if they sold the assets today. So when you look at your unit price, that's net of the capital gains tax that would be realized if they sold all the assets today and gave it back to all the members. Now that, that's not a that's not a sorry, that's not a real tax payment. That's just an, an accounting provision. And the cash is still invested. So it's not affecting your your return. The same amount of assets is still working as if you'd had them in your own hand. But the return is expressed as a percentage of the net of tax unit price. So it flatters the unit price, so it flatters the returns in an up market. And when asset values fall, they unwind some of that tax provision. So the return in a down year doesn't look as bad as otherwise would have. And that's the same whether you hold these personally or in your super fund. Yeah, which is the nature of a unitized trust. Correct. And does the trust, sorry, and practically speaking, the trust would obviously be pretty cash heavy with net flows anyway to cover tax bills? It would, but this is obviously to make sure that people buying in aren't buying someone else's tax problem. Yeah. So when you buy in, you buy those assets at a price that reflects the embedded capital gain. So that's a fairer way all round. But but that's the 101 argument for a lot of self-managed super fund purists, right? It's a bit of a furphy though mm. um, because the tax isn't actually paid. It's still sitting there in cash. The only thing that's different is that the unit price reflects it as if it were. So you're buying in at the net of tax price and you will exit at the net of tax price. So it just spreads it around. Now, so that's the lay of the land now. What are they proposing for this uh, above the $3 million and how are they working that out? So the proposal is to, in effect, tax capital gains whether they're realized or not. So if I was a professional investor, um, they would treat my investments as if they were trading stock. So I would market to market at the end of the year. So I'd say, I bought this at 100 at the beginning of the year. It's worth 110 now. Whether I sell it or not, I still have to pay tax on the 10. So that's how a professional investor would be taxed today. So if you're a trader, that's how you're going to get taxed. The proposal here is that they would extend that to super funds where the balance is over $3 million, which strikes me as being a particular, well, it's strange, like there's nowhere else in the tax system where we treat capital investments as if they were revenue investments. Mm. And you've got a super fund, particularly public office super funds, where they're doing their books generally on a when-realized basis. But for this small group of members, they have to separately return tax on the 
unrealized gain. So it sounds like a an accounting nightmare to me. It would be a liquidity nightmare too for those who have maybe some significant holdings with real property or whatnot yep. in super, in self-managed super funds. So just to be really clear, um, for those who might have been a bit confused by all that, if you had if you purchased a house in ordinary money, just your own money for $500,000 and there was some magical threshold of $500,000, and then the house increased to $600,000, but you didn't sell it, this is the equivalent of the government saying that $100,000 increase you have to pay tax on. Correct. So it's it's a little bit odd and I, I don't, like, I just don't get that part of it. And whether that bit will survive the legislation is another question. But that does strike me as being a bit, I don't have a particular problem with the 3 million cap or you know, pick a level, whether it's 3, 5, 10, 50. Three doesn't seem unreasonable to me, but this quirky accounting treatment does seem a little odd. And I haven't seen anything as to what happens to the gain at the point this comes in. Do you get, do you get a notional cost base of July 1, 2025? Um, so I think there's a lot of detailed work to be done. The formula in the Treasury paper looks very convincing, but I think the devil's in the detail here and deals will be done to get this through. So I think watch this space on that one. Yeah. Well, we'll have a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a bit more about the the politics of it for a bit of fun and our personal views in wrapping up. We'll be back right after this. And in fact, I'm going to do the live read today, Vince, of the ad, and I will see if I can recall it from memory. If you're after financial advice, sing along if you know it, everyone. Don't listen to a podcast. If you would like help from a financial advisor, a mortgage broker, or an accountant, we can help you. Head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'd be more than happy to introduce you to somebody to help you with your financial requirements. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we are back. Now, the politics of this, I thought it was particularly interesting because five mil was leaked first. Mm. So do you think the leak got a bit ahead of them and they're like, oh, crap, we've got to take this out now? Um I mean, this is 100%, my view on the politics of it is 100% softening the landing and the blow and the ground 
for the budget that's coming up in May because this is one big thing they're going to be doing and I suspect that they don't want this quote-unquote big issue that affects quote-unquote a small amount of people getting in the way of some of the bigger stuff that they want to maybe land in the budget. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, the when this sort of thing was floated, and, and I think most people would agree that this sector is rife for some form of reform, that they, their Costello 2007 position just can't continue. And they fl- floated a few kites earlier in the year and copped so much flack for um, announcing a change that they said they wouldn't. And um, this seemed to be a bit of a backpedal slightly and it's pretty easy to go, oh, this is just the big end of town. Um, although I know no one's ever actually used that word this time. Um, and so I think the really interesting thing though was the three announcements that came out at once. This one, the purpose of super announcement and the nation building investment from super, it's almost like this one was designed to take the flak so no one paid any attention to the other two, which are actually much more important to the average Australian. That it's pretty easy to go, well, three million, that's 2% of Australians or whatever the number is. But the purpose of super argument, which I can't remember the precise wording, but it uses words along the line to preserve savings to provide for retirement income for a dignified retirement, words to that effect. Yeah. And that sounds pretty innocuous, like what else is super for? But the use of the word preserved would suggest that things like the first home super saver scheme is not compatible with that. The COVID withdrawal strategy is not compatible with that. Compassionate grounds Compassionate and grounds. medical So, so what's releases, next there? Yeah. And these things are things that matter to 20, 30, 40 something Australians who don't have $3 million. So we don't know what dignified means. We, now, does it mean not eating dog food or does it mean something a bit more comfortable? Um, what does preserve mean? What does income mean? There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that could potentially change stuff that really matters to the average Australian. And so the $3 million provides a lot of political cover for that. And the other one which people should be really concerned about is the the nation building stuff where um, Chalmers is put in the position that the government should have some role in cajoling, encouraging or directing super funds to invest in nation building infrastructure or and other climate activities and climate activities. So what does that mean? And is that going to be at the expense of investment returns. And I think, you know, if you look at the government's track record in major investments, Snowy 2.0, NBN, um, I'm not sure. And you're saying government as in government not being bipartisan? Well, that's unclear, but I suspect that what it means is the government of the day. Yes. um, Whoever that might be. Mm. So those two, I think, are the actual real story here. And the three million is a bit of a furphy designed to take the heat of those two. Yeah. I mean, that whole um, investing in the future and whatnot with people's super, I was thinking about that. And will there be a mandate 
where retail and industry funds have to have a percentage portion of their account balance. Yeah, we don't know. Towards, yeah, and I mean, and this is the dance, right? Like the thing that with a $3 million thing, I'm okay with it um, because realistically, most people I've met as a financial advisor and you, you the same, you'd be the same, Vince, most of their wealth usually is held in ordinary money outside mm. of super. So if I'm making some big, broad assumptions, if you do have three million super, you've probably got eight or nine outside of super. I don't know. Like most people, when they get to a retirement age or whatever, they they have other assets out of yeah. super. I think super super balances are less than 10% of household assets. Yeah. So there's that, number one. Number two, there is that dance with the government putting amounts on things and- you know, if the government says you have to invest your superannuation into the um, the railway project up the east coast, mm. like, oh, we'll back off. I thought we were we could do what we want with our investment choice. So it is that dance, and I'm probably becoming a bit of a socialist capitalist, where I get the fact that the government should not be telling people how much money they can you know, earn and keep and all that stuff. But that is the whole principle behind super. Like that. But, and, well, that's what I was saying. But the but is superannuation is a vehicle for retirement assets for most working Australians. It's not, at the moment, it's a bit of a tax haven. It really is. Mm-hmm. And it just is not used for that. And, you know, if you are fortunate enough to have over $3 million in super, your tax rate outside of super is probably 47%. I mean, what's less, 30% or 47 So I don't know. I don't have a huge problem with it. I probably would have liked to see maybe some tie-in and reference to the balance transfer cap. Hmm. So at all times, the the limit in super is double the balance can- transfer cap and it just kind of both cascades and inf- like, I don't know, just some logic or- Yeah, but the FSC position that we should think that it'll still be 3 million in 30 years' time is just disingenuous. But I mean, I think the whole thing around super is that we are forcing consumers, or all Australians, to put aside 10.5% or more of their income for retirement. Mm-hmm. And providing for your retirement is one of the six big decisions that I always talk about. Mm. Um, but... It is a trade-off between standard of living during your working life and standard of living in retirement. And by mandating 10 and a half, we're effectively saying you must save enough to give yourself about two-thirds of your working life income in retirement. And that's a, a value judgment that consumers should be able to make themselves. Mm. And the argument that the government knows better is partly based on the fact that people don't actually make this decision rationally, generally, and a dollar today is always worth more than a dollar in retirement to most people. So we do have to create some nudges or incentives. But once we move to mandating it, I think the government owes us a duty of 
know, if you're going to force me to do this, you should give me the tools to manage it and you should sort of get out of my way in managing it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for the last probably four or five years that we've done this podcast, every time we've done our federal budget recap, the words that have left my mouth was like, thank goodness they kept their freaking mitts <laughs> off super. So it really is the first mm. big thing. Um, well, DF2, but I, I DF 293 was probably. Yeah, that was. And the, then the T-bar. Yeah. What's the T-bar for those who don't understand? Oh, sorry, the transfer balance cap. That's the 1.9 million we talked about earlier. Um, it just sounds so, better when you say T-bar. Yeah. Because it feels um, like you're skiing. But I was actually just thinking when I said that comment earlier about, you know, what's more 30% or 47%. Well, if I have to realize a, a gain on paper at 30%, it's a huge hit where 47% outside, I'm only getting taxed on the income. Yeah. So it would, it would probably change behavior. And that's why the way these tax concession cost calculations work, they assume that there's no behavior change as a result of the tax change. Mm. So to argue that this is going to save a billion dollars this year, however small that might actually be, you're probably going to get it in the first year, but mm. it will change people's behavior. And so you're unlikely to realize the actual saving over time because people will do other stuff. They'll use investment bonds, they'll use family trusts, they'll give the money to their kids. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can solve that problem. And even structuring within an SMSF, you know, do you put the the high growth assets in the kids um accumulation membership? Yeah, the accumulation fund members. So there's a there are lots of ways this can be gamed, and I'm not sure they've really thought this through. So mm. I would be surprised if that accounting treatment survives mm. the vote in the yeah, House. Absolutely. Particularly when you look at the the numbers in the House, that few people would argue with the three million. Most people would argue about stop stuffing around with the rules guys. Oh, sorry, most people would agree with stop stuffing around with the rules, guys. So they're probably going to need some of the Teal members in the Senate to support this to get it through. And there was a few Teals in there that were like, uh, this is wild. So it might look different. Yeah, so when you look at the, the, te the locations and personalities of the Teal candidates, uh, Zali Steg Stegel in... Waringa, Kylie Tink in North Sydney. Um, what's the woman's name in Kuyong? Ah, um, uh, the doctor. I yeah, forget her name. Monique. It me. Is it Monique? Yeah, um, forget. But, you know, most of their... These are wealthy seats. Yeah, yeah, so their constituents, whilst they were quite happy to go anyone but Tony Abbott and um, we like the climate, they're probably not going to vote to stuff their own retirements. So... I would say this is going to struggle to get through the through the Senate in its current form. Mm. Well, there you have it. In finishing, I believe you touched on it at the start, Vince. The, the damage is those who aren't paying close attention to, you know, most people, particularly if you are well over 45 at the moment, I'll say that, it probably won't affect most people. Um, 
But if you're not paying attention and you just hear government attacking super, that's all you hear and you'll not put extra salary sacrifice in. You might go, well, I'll just invest in my own name. Hmm. So it does rock the confidence of the thing. And I honestly believe, you know, when you are getting advice and looking for wealth creation uh, for future life, absolutely, you'll do things in a tax-effective manner. And for me, to aspire to have up to, you know, 1.9 million in a pension fund, um, you know, from 1 July this year, that's growing and I can be paid tax-free, that's an appealing thing and I think, it's great that people are rewarded for being a self-funded retiree. And for those of us who have passed our preservation age, um, it's a particularly present problem to have. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you uh, <laughs> are you going to stop putting money in super bins? I have to start spending it. You might have to start spending it. Well, we'll leave it there. I'm going to get this podcast edited up and get it out into everyone's ears. So we'll maybe do another chat if things change but just everyone pour some cold water on this it's probably not as bad as it seems and I think we both focus on the two things that actually matter in that announcement yeah but also just as a rule of thumb in your life if you spend less than you earn and invest the rest whether it's in super or ordinary money or an investment bond you will be better off than spending all the money correct thanks Vince thank you Glenn Talk soon. Bye. Bye for now. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 